Have you heard about the new MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle? The MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle is the easiest, most advanced nozzle ever, protecting you from the dangers of diesel exhaust fumes. With its patented flex magnet technology, the Pro Nozzle easily attaches with one hand from a standing position, can snap on from any angle, and fits flush to the apparatus, saving a ton of space. A MagnaGrip is the only exhaust removal system that offers a true 100% seal. For free grant assistance and to learn more, go to magnagrip.com. All right, good afternoon or good morning or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Um, welcome and thank you again for listening to the episode, this episode of Perspectives on Leadership through Fire Engineering. Uh, my name is Steve Shaw. I'm proud to be an assistant chief with Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue. I'm also honored to be part of the fire engineering family as an author, as a presenter at FDIC, and as a host for this podcast. As much as I consider myself to be a student of, of the fire service, these days I find myself being a student of leadership more than ever. I'm grateful for this platform and for the value that it provides to the listeners and for the opportunity it affords me to grow as a leader within Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue. Uh, during our last conversation that I had with Chief Halton, he mentioned how FDIC was a tactics conference, not just with firefighting, but with all things, leadership, training, mentorship, etc. And no matter what we taught or presented or spoke on, we should be focused on the tactical ways for our listeners and readers to model or deploy these ideals in the real world. So in that spirit and that honor, I will continue to focus on these tactics as, as well as the concepts. So, so I want to always thank uh, Chief Halton as we start these, these discussions. Um, I continue to be fascinated by how our perspectives affect our abilities to lead. Perspective is the lens in which you view. It's, uh, it's one of those things where your perspective can also be the lens that other people view the world through as well. Call it what you will, mindset, viewpoint, angle. Perspective is a powerful tool in the toolbox of a leader. The goal for this podcast continues to be pretty straightforward. Take a concept or trait that we associate with leadership and take a deep dive down that rabbit hole. Our fire rescue service is filled with amazing leaders and each have their own perspective on leadership. I want to pick their brains and allow them to provide as many tactical, immediately deployable takeaways as possible to the listener. I'm forever grateful to Fire Engineering and for Chief Halton for allowing me to have this platform, and I'm going to do my best to keep passing it on to my brothers and sisters as it was taught to me. So, vision. Simon Sinek has been quoted to say, leadership has two things, or leadership requires two things. A vision of the world that does not yet exist and the ability to communicate it. He's also stated that we are visually oriented animals in the book, Leaders Eat Last. So I had the pleasure of seeing Chief Brian Brush provide the opening presentation at the National Rescue Consultants 10-year anniversary event in Miami a few weeks ago. Uh, during his presentation, I took a full page of notes that I usually do and spent some time reviewing them later on. I enjoyed the alternative positive vision he presented to the attendees regarding the gathering of firefighting data. Specifically, I was inspired by the dichotomy of the data that had been traditionally gathered, which revolved around fire loss and civilian loss, uh, versus the data that Brian uh, was collecting, which focused on the mission of saving lives and the metrics of lives saved. This refreshing take on the data was appreciated, and it seemed to hit a lot of the nerves of the people that were there or were present that day. In the concept, in this, it is this concept of a new positive vision that provided the impetus for me to reach out to contact Chief Brush to see if he talk a little bit today. So just a brief intro for Chief Brush. Um, he is a father of three teenagers, a husband of 20 years, and a training chief in Midwest City, Oklahoma. He started in the fire service in 1996 and has worked as a volunteer, seasonal wildland firefighter, and as a career firefighter. He has completed his EFO and holds a master's degree from Oklahoma State University and is a chief training officer designation. On a personal note, I've reached out to Chief Brush on several occasions, uh, specifically uh, about his experiences with the EFO program, because I start the EFO program in the summertime. So I was trying to get his take on what he did and how he did it and so on and so forth. I love that he was able to create a report that has exponentially impacted our field. And I hope that whatever I choose to focus on during that program, that I could provide in some way, shape or form the same value to our fire service as he has and continues to do. So there's three things before I give Chief Brush the, the mic for a second. There's three things I, I was thinking about before this presentation and that I wanted to just that are on my mind right now. First thing is obviously vision. 
I found myself looking through a new lens regarding what we do as firefighters while listening to Chief Brush. And I'd like to break that down on how this new positive vision can affect our members. The second thing I thought of is it was a phrase he used during his presentation, academic athletes. Now, that statement, give me a moment of pause. Uh, <laughs> me being a big education guy, I was pleased to see that he highlighted the need for not us to not only be tactically sound, but highly educated as well. And I, I do plan at some point to do a whole show on education in the future, but I'd really like to hear his take on why it's so important. And the third thing is data. Like like Brian's world, like my world, my world today revolves around data, and I can't buy a new truck or a, a box of pencils without it. So I'm intrigued and inspired on how he took his passion and was able to obtain this detailed set of metrics that has, in a very short time, influenced our fire service in very profound ways. So, Chief Brush, with that, uh, I just want to say thank you for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You're welcome, man. I'm excited. You. Uh... You put a lot of things on the table, so hopefully we can we can work through some of them. Yeah, because both of us are in admin, and we got to get back to work at some yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, in that case, let's just dive right into it then. Um, so I figured we, we'd segue right into the discussion of how you took your interest and passion regarding civilian rescues and how it evolved to the 2021 Fireground Civilian Re uh, Rescue Research Project. Can we start there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just always um, – it's always been kind of one of those nagging questions that I've had, you know, how, how many people are we, are we saving in the fire service? Um, how many rescues are occurring? And I, I think it was kind of floating around in the back of my mind, but then with the establishment of the firefighter rescue survey in 2016, uh, and it getting some traction and us really starting to learn how the rescues are occurring, you know, where they are under what conditions and what the outcomes of the people, uh, that they're saving are, uh, that's when I really realized we have to we have to find the other side of this. So we know how they're being performed. Uh, we got to know how many. And um, I think that that was that was the shocking thing when I really you know I was in school this this whole time. It took me uh, five years to complete my master's. So um, throughout that whole time, I kept digging into information, the U.S. Fire Administration information, the uh, NFPA's uh, information and statistics, and I, I just couldn't find any of those measuring tools. Um, you know, and and as we talk, you know, I presented, I present back to 50 years ago when America Burning established kind of our measurements, but it really goes even further back than that. I mean, if you're a student of the fire service, you know that the fire protection began with the insurance agencies and, you know, all the way back to fire companies being associated with an insurance company and, and having that, um, that marker on people's doors in the 1700s. So, I mean, it's, it really very much has been kind of concentrated on reducing loss and, and that type of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's really not until this modern fire service that we've had the opportunity to really save lives, you know, so, uh, stopping damage versus, you know, improving outcomes that that's probably the biggest, uh, you know, paradigm shift we need to look at in the fire service. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a very good dichotomy in terms of what you just said, stopping damage versus saving lives and just but just the, the, the different way to look at it. I I, I guess up until uh, the firefighter, like you said, the, the 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 rescue surveys and what was done, being done back in 2015 up until today, a lot of us still had because we were ingrained to it, always looking at the negative side of things. So to see it from a positive perspective, that's refreshing and it's powerful, too. Um, it's nice to see it being brought in a different light, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and, and you mentioned there's a lot more stuff going on out there other than with real research. And, and I think that you, you did give some appreciation to that from the, the firefighter rescue survey and the work that's being done with there. So there's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of people that are actively uh, involved in trying to get this data for us. And it's 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 exciting. It's exciting times. It really is. Um, so uh, let's go further with that a little bit um, in, in terms of uh, do, do you think there's a, a correlation between vision in general? and the current recruitment and retention crisis that we're experiencing? I do. I mean, I, I think that, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think we have not been, one, you know, we haven't been recording our, our positive strokes, uh, you know, the, the things that we can do. Um, the other side of it, and, and I'll be honest, you know, we've, we've asked some of our uh, recruits, uh, we've asked people in, in the community, you know, what do you know about firefighting? Um, 
What do you think some of the risks are? And um, even the general public now um, probably sees one of the greatest risks with firefighting as cancer. And um, I, I think that that's a, a little bit of a tough thing. I, I think we they willingly accept and know that our job is dangerous and we, um, you know, but our risk is worth it when we're trying to save lives and property. Um, but I think uh, us messaging to each other and, and trying to inform each other about the risks of cancer and and uh, mental health and those things have gotten outside of our walls. Um, and and that that's a tough thing. I, I think when you talk about the downsides of this job all the time, hey, you're you know, you're going to be exposed to bad things. We're, we're going to lose people. Uh, you know, your risks of cancer are high. Um, you know, the, those chip away at the, the will to do the job, you know, the, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. And if, if you can tell people what they can do in our profession and, and what our profession provides them, uh, you know, very stable income, uh, you know, great, uh, camaraderie and environment in the firehouse. I mean, I, I, I think the positive versus negative communication is, is, probably very far reaching, you know, beyond our impacts on, on civilians. So, uh, it, it's tough. It's really tough. I know sometimes we, we try to, you know, amplify our, our need by saying 3,500 civilians die in fires every year. But, um, you know, once again, that's, that's something that's occurring day in and day out, whether we're, we're in the firehouse or not. And I think that that's really, again, um, something when we look at our national fire problem, when we back out from our community, uh, I would venture to guess that 500 to 1,000 civilian fire fatalities every year uh, occur in areas without an organized or, um, you know, adequate fire service. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, we try to lump the fire service together. But uh, really, uh, the rescue survey, it, you know, a rescue of a civilian by a firefighter is by definition means that a civilian was in danger and a trained, equipped firefighter with the will to make a difference intervened. And um, I think those are the ones we need to hone in on. It's it's very, very difficult for us to say, you know, these thousand fire fatalities that occur in, in rural America, um, how will we ever get them more support uh, for career firefighters or staffing or equipment if, if we can't in the professional fire service demonstrate that the civilians that are rescued by equipped, trained firefighters with the will to serve uh, have a 70% survival. So I, I think that it's 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 critical for everybody uh, bringing people into our profession, uh, improving the services and support we get uh, by measuring these metrics. I You know what, you, you hit a couple nerves there with me as well. And it, when you talk about the, the knowing, people knowing what we do, I think of two things. Um, several it doesn't matter how long ago, let's say it was several years ago. I remember talking to the mayor's, uh, I think it was the mayor's aide several years ago. And I remember the aide saying to me one day, hey, Steve, do you guys run rescue calls? Do you, like, do you run medical calls? And I remember just being absolutely shocked when he asked me that question. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean those 16 medical rescue <laughs> trucks out there? Yeah, the ones that are running back and forth. Yeah, we run a few medical calls. We do. Yeah. But I, I, I was, it was a profound statement because... As I kind of backed away from it, I'm like, wait a minute. If that guy who works in the mayor's office doesn't know what we do, how many more people at that level don't know what we do? Yeah. It was it was it was a very mind opening experience, and it, it it brought to light the fact that we need to be educating everybody around us what we do because most people just don't know, yeah. and that's on us. That's on us to yeah. make sure they understand what we do, which will help us later on justify the needs for more personnel, more trucks, more this, more that. But it was just one of those weird questions that was asked. I'm like, I can't believe this is actually happening. I can't believe I'm going to actually ask this question. But the other thing that it brings me to is you're right about educating our people when they come in to make sure they know the good and the both you know be honest with them the, both the good yeah. and the bad of what they're going to experience uh in, in fort lauderdale we're very honest with our people because we're we're a we're a busy gritty urban fire department we run we run hard and we tell them that we're very open and honest with them and we present both sides we present the what they're going to experience the the struggles and the challenges but then we present, like you said, the the camaraderie, the the, the second family they're going to have for upwards of 25, 30 years and those amazing experiences they're going to get. And 
So we try, at least I do my best to try to find a way to focus on the positives as best as possible, given that that positive vision. Um, and I, I think I showed you this before, but I'm going to show this on the screen in terms of vision. Um, and as we're talking about it, I mentioned it before we have a new fire chief and the fire chief brought me into the office and part of our, our talk was him explaining his vision of the future and what my role was with that. And after he explained the vision, it, it, it this just shows you how powerful it is. And I'm going to show this on the screen for whoever's watching. So this is a mind map of how to make you know, a positive change in the culture of EMS within our organization. And it just took a conversation and his vision and then me looking at going, OK, what can I do to to help with that vision? But it's powerful when you got that strong vision. It, it, it's incentivizing. It's, it's it's powerful. It's it's motivating, you know. So but yeah, going back to the, some of the things you were saying, um, it, it's it's I really wanted it. And I'm glad we talked about that in terms of like providing that vision to the people around us at different levels, whether it's the firefighters and what the value they truly provide is because it's easy to get lost in all the minutia. You know, it's easy to get lost in the the mandatories and COVID and 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 then just the multiple calls. You get lost in the true value people provide. So I'm, I'm glad we, we talked about that. Um, so in terms of data, uh, it's wonderful to see that um, some of the numbers you've assisted in gathering are validating some of our tactics like VES. That was a big one for me. Um, I can recall uh, years ago the challenges we were met when we tried to explain to upper management why we should be considering like VES as more of a primary tactic and how the data now has validated it. So where do we need more work in terms of data, research, and metrics right now? You know, I, th I think we're I think right now we're we're probably on the cusp of it. And um, you know, when we look back at at UL, uh, I mean, U UL is incredibly influential right now. Um, when we step back, and again, I was, I've been in the fire service for a while. I remember in 2005, the the first kind of time that UL really came on my radar was when they put out the videos of the 1970s furniture versus the the modern yeah. furniture. You know, yeah. and that as crazy as that was, that's the first time we we really witnessed fire dynamics in real time uh, beyond the power curve, beyond the uh, you know, the graphics and the, and the textbooks and stuff, that was a real time video. Um, and that captured the nation's attention. And then from there, they built on with the ventilation study and, and uh, you know, work through PPV, work through fire streams and, and then to the coordinated fire attacks. So they have built up a track record and, and credibility um, over the course of the last 15 years. That, that's just amazing. Um, and then right now with the launch of the search one, this is probably, you know, when we look at back at the fire stream, that was the first time it wasn't the fire stream study it was impact on, you know, uh, survivability for for civilians and firefighters. So that's the first time we've really measured how these conditions are Im impacting firefighters and civilians. And now that we're into the search study, you know, the, the tools and everything that were provided to measure gas levels at different levels and the speed of removal. Um, it's truly eye-opening, and I think this is where you'll see that data really merge. UL um, cannot do the search study with live victims. They can measure all the fractional equivalent doses and those types of things, so uh, we really will only get the lab exposure to that through UL. What we can do is with the Firefighter Rescue Survey, now that we have a, a database of 3,000 rescues, we can start to look at their tactical recommendations with what we're seeing in the field. And that's really kind of the, the best part of our program or the firefighter rescue survey program and the data collected is it's, it's a big enough body of work now that it's, it's very valid. Um, and, you know, when you start to compare it to a UL study, now you're getting that, that confirmation from a separate source. And that, that's really important to me, you know, when you're when you're researching is to find different data sources and where they overlap is, you know, that's that's confirm confirmation. They try to get you to, you know, one one term they use is triangulate, find three separate sources that have a common, you know, finding. And, and that's true, really good confirmation of it. So, um, you know, as far as victim locations, you know, when you look at infers data and, and NFPA data on civilian fire fatalities, and then you look at um, you know, firefighter rescue survey on the rescues. And then we start to consider UL, okay, behind a closed door in a bedroom versus the hallway. Um, that's where you're really starting to triangulate things. And I, I believe that that's, 
that's where the new fire service will be. Um, we've, we've very much only had a single source of information, be it the experience of our members or the, uh, the IFS, the textbooks. Um, but now we're in a world where, where information is developing in real time in a, in a very fast pace. Uh, we're able to access it and access other sources to confirm it and check it. And, um, you know, it's, it's no joke that the fire service is more intense researchers than they, they've ever been before. Yeah, and that's exciting to kind of see all this come to fruition, and and it's validating too to see like some of our, uh, like I mentioned before, VES is my favorite example. When you see the results that the 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 research has brought, validating that as a tactic in terms of of finding victims, how can you deny it? It's powerful, and it helps, especially at hard level. You know, it helps the people that are above us who need or are craving those metrics to justify and to validate things that they put into a standard operating procedure or your protocols, your, your whatever, your guidelines, they need that. And it's nice to be able to, to provide that. So we're definitely catching up, I guess. And I think that you mentioned it during your lecture too, how, and correct me if I'm, I'm saying this wrong, but something about EMS gets it. In other words, yes. EMS has been gathering this kind of stuff for the longest time and they're really good. We are really good on the EMS side of things in gathering those metrics and data and and really helping those shape what we do out there in the field. I guess there's hopefully going to be, and it seems like there's that equivalent now happening and progressing with the fire side of what we do. It seems that way. Yeah, I mean, there, it's, you know, of course we, you know, EMS gets it. They understand that there's, you know, there's prevention and then there's there's just the situation. You know, we, we, can, we can certainly recommend that people are, you know, eat healthy and exercise to prevent cardiac arrest. But man, like, when a cardiac arrest occurs, we're still very focused on the interventions that can improve outcomes. And um, I mean, it, over the same course of time, the 15 years, uh, you know, cardiac arrest care has come a long way. And it, in fact, it's it's simplified. So um, I, you know, I believe that that once the fire service starts measuring outcomes, we can understand our interventions that impact those. Um, but it, until we measure outcomes, we can't. Uh, we, we can't then look at the interventions that affected that. And I think that that's probably what you'll see the next evolution. You know, you still use the term VES. I still use the term VES. But you look at the latest UL information and they're calling it window initiated search. You know, searches need to happen uh, at any point at any time. So uh, if you have a hand line going in the front door and you're you're able to search from the back door, we've we've dispelled the rumors about pushing fire. If you have a straight or solid stream and it's targeted. So like, once we develop all these, you know, higher quality interventions, we can start to work them together. And, um, you know, to that end, the firefighter rescue survey last year, we started asking, you know, by basically then enter search, but did you search beyond the initial room? And uh, we're we starting to get data on that. And the, the outcomes are almost just as high for people that are found beyond the initial room. What that's telling us is it's a it's a sound method for searching because it also accelerates that removal to fresh air versus your traditional pathways, bringing them back through. And, and that will be validated by the UL research as well. So it's a very exciting time um, if you believe in, in putting your best foot forward and, and using the information that is best available. But it's going to be a very challenging time and that our traditional mo models and methods are going to be um, tested. But once again, you know, we've accepted that in EMS. We will change drugs every year. We will change protocols every year. They're, they're evaluated. We will seek out new opportunities just to see a 5% improvement in, in outcomes in EMS. Yep, um, yep. But, but there's a whole lot more people bought into that system. There's, you know, we're the EMS providers. There's the hospital systems. There's research. So um, we, we didn't have a lot of that kind of infrastructure until today, you know, or in the last 15 years. UL, the more they can demonstrate um, the education in the fire service, the evolution of the fire service, the more funding they will get. We just need to, on the operational side, show that that, that is having an impact on our, on our uh, victims' outcomes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that, that's, that's a good, I'm glad we dove into that. That was, yeah, like I said, it's powerful data that, that's being gathered. And I like the, uh, the analogy between EMS and fire. Um, so one of the things you also said during the presentation I saw last week was the term academic athletes. And I love that phrase. I, I love that phrase you used. Can we unpack that a little bit in terms of the need for us to be, the need for education in the fire service? Like, what did you mean when you were saying academic athletes? What did you, what were you thinking when you said that? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, that's always, um, you know, I, I, 
I remember, and I don't know, maybe it was just me as a kid, but I mean, I was, I obviously loved football, loved all the sports and everything like that. But for some reason, when I'd see a, a linebacker on the field and they would say, yeah, you know, he's also, he has a 4.0 as a, you know, as a uh, um, chemical engineer. I'm like, whoa, you know, like, I, I think that that's, that's impressive. And, you know, in, in, I think that we've come a long way in that kind of world in the fire service of thinking like, you're either, you know, you're either handy with the steel or, or you're in the books with a bow tie. And I, I think that that's something I've really worked hard to do myself is to, to set a new standard and set a new example and, and to show, and I, I can accomplish EFO and a, and a master's degree without giving up my Halligan for a bow tie. You know, I, we, we can't be um, these dual purpose. And I think that today's world demands it. You know, I, I think that if you are um, purely reliant on experience, then, then you're that player uh, on these NBA and NFL teams that just never mixes. You know, you're, you're that talent-only player uh, that we all love to have on the field, but is just does not, you know, work out well in the locker room, you know, has off-field off, uh, problems, never meshes with the system, challenges the offensive coordinator. So, I, I mean, that's – I don't know how to how to articulate it, but when you're seeing, you know, in the NFL, them using analytics to determine if they're going forward on fourth, fourth down and all, like the world has just shifted. You have to be um, tremendously prepared, fit, willing, and able, um, but you you have to have a, a very a much deeper um, vault of knowledge to 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 pull from those quick decisions. So, and I think that that's that's the thing is, you know, fire dynamics is is very. We need to be dynamic in our thinking, dynamic in our performance, and um, I know, you know, from talking with powerlifters, some some great stuff through CrossFit back in the days with Coach Bergner and stuff. I mean, powerlifters, um, they they've been demonstrated to have higher cognitive abilities, and it, it's just because of that uh, form, attention and form and function, and then what what improved health does to your body. So, uh, <laughs> again, like that's that's a whole nother rabbit hole of, of how <laughs> fitness and function can lead to higher mental performance too. So. Yeah, I, um, I, it's it's it's. I guess it's nice to see out there in our in our field, people taking it like not only a step above but going to the extreme in some cases. Uh, you have some guys out there with doctors and doctors in education. You know, there's a lot of PhDs and EDs out there in terms of in the fire service. Whoever thought? Uh, there's a lot of advanced level practitioners out there in terms of PAs and nurse practitioners and and advanced level nurses. Who would have ever thought? You know, we're really stepping out. Um, so it's nice to see that the opportunities are there for us. And a lot of times with our departments, we have the ability to have educational reimbursement and whatnot. You know, why not? You know, yeah. and, and like you, for me, the reason I went to get my my master's is because, you know, they don't they never taught me how to be an admin guy. I had to learn it. And I figured, let me just go to the extreme so I could be the best admin guy that the department needs me to be. Yeah, I never yeah. thought I was going to go be in that days. I never thought I was going to get my MBA, for God's sake. But I needed it and, and it helped me be, be better at what I'm doing now. But it's nice to see that there's more of an acceptance of advanced level education, whatever that looks like. And not that everybody needs it. I'm not saying everybody needs something like that, no. but it's nice to see there's more of acceptance of it. And, and I, think, they, I think that some of that is just professional expectation. I mean, like my wife works in the schools and, you know, a, a teacher has a, a bachelor's degree, you know, and um, a principal or a superintendent has a, a master's degree, you know. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the way I see it. You know, I'm, I'm a chief of a training division, um, that oversees 85 members. Um, some of those members are instructor two. Some of those members are instructor one. I mean, truly at this point, I'm, I'm running a small school setting, you know, setting professional, uh, development plans and standards. And I mean, I, I should be held to the kind of that same thing. You know, I, I would hope that people target their officer development programs with that kind of associates, you know, uh, model through Feshi or whatever it is. But I mean, that's, um, you know, again, education isn't a requirement, but it, it should serve as a model, just as I'm saying EMS is a model for our, uh, our outcome performance. Um, you know, the educational system should, should serve as that model for our, our personal and professional development. I don't yeah. think a, a bachelor, I don't think a, a battalion chief needs a master's degree, but, um, my world, I, I, you know, as, as a training chief of a ISO class one department of this size, I, I would definitely be bumping up against it. 
I'm I'm on the same page. I'm glad we're having this discussion and people are listening, you know, because it's it's important, you know, and it's important that uh, and whether you glean from that just uh, notes on organizational development or how to be a better manager or leader or your technical writing improves. You know, th those are big things, especially at our level when you're talking to city officials and elected officials and the corporate world out there. So, OK, so let me ask you this. Um, Chief Holton reminded me that FDIC is about tactical takeaways. And I'm glad we had that last talk together because it really kind of set something in my mind going forward about, you know, the tactics, the deployable things, the nuggets that were taken from uh, this conversation and others. So uh, reg regardless of the content, whether it's tactics and strategies or things like mentoring and leadership and those kind of things. So this podcast is about tactical takeaways. What are some of the ways we can practice the vision out there in terms of vision? Since that's what this discussion is about. How do we deploy that? How do we practice setting a vision, making a vision, following a vision? How does that look? You know, I, I think it's, I think it, it, it's point number one. And I, I think that that's, that's a tough, that's kind of a tough situation in the sense that we, there was years ago, uh, there was this um, push in the fire service to develop mission statements and, and mission statements that completely captured everything your department does. And, uh, you know, I, I remember going through that wave in the early 2000s and, and that the department I was working at, the mission statement was almost two paragraphs and I couldn't really recall it, you know, um, and over the course of education. And I'm sure you've you've experienced in looking at leadership. They talk about values based decisions and, you know, in the absence of a protocol or a procedure, uh, fall back to values based decisions. So then what are your organization's core values? And I really like that in the sense that if our organization has four uh, core values, then you can reference those. Um, when I was uh, interviewing for my job here at, at Midwest City Fire Department, I sat down in, in headquarters and I looked at the wall and the vision statement was on the wall. The department vision statement was, we shall be mentally and physically prepared to take bold and aggressive actions in the course of our mission or in the execution of our mission. And I thought, man, that's that's amazing. I mean, that that's where it should all start. You, I mean, it, in the absence of a policy or procedure, as long as I'm thinking and acting um, in a bold way, an aggressive way to intervene when the problem is small uh, in the execution of our mission, which is to save lives, protect property, it, it applies to um, our prevention division, it applies to admin, it applies to the shift. So I think that that if I had a takeaway it would be define your vision. And that, you know, fortunately I work in a place that has an organizational vision, but I mean, right now you're showing uh, an example. Um, your first step following the meeting with your chief was for you to set a, a, a vision for your division, a vision for you as the head of that. If we don't know, you know, what we're shooting for, then, then everything below that is, is becomes um, disorganized. So, I mean, that that mind map that you had, the, the center was, um, you know, the vision and all those other things are the pathways. And, you know, I talk about tactics, you know, I, I it's a tactical takeaway in the sense that that's where we should all start. What is my vision for the training division? What is my personal professional development vision? What is our organization? All that. And then you build from it. So essentially, it's the strategy that you're choosing. So while it's a tactical takeaway and, and I'm saying, hey, today, sit down, figure out your vision for yourself, your division and your organization. It truly then becomes the strategy by which you make sure your tactics and your tasks all line up and down. Yep. 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 That, that's powerful. Um, and yeah, I, I used that example before because it was powerful to me. And uh, another, uh, since we're talking about tactical takeaways here, one of the one of our new programs we started over the last year and a half was a mobile integrated healthcare program. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, in terms of optics and having a visual, so when people come up to me from the city or the department and say, "What is that?" I usually have an elevator speech ready to go. I tell them, "Well, you know, we have operations, we have uh, logistics, we have." EMS, we have training, but we also have fire prevention and fire prevention does investigations and um, uh, building inspections and all that kind of stuff. I go think about this program as the Emergency Medical Prevention Bureau. Yeah. And, I, I, and when I say that and I look at the people that I'm talking to, they're like, oh, because it provides them a vision, a visual. Yeah. You know, so they can yeah. start. And I used to tell them, let's start there. Let's start right there yeah. with that vision, and then I'll explain more. But at least they have some place to start from and, and go from yeah. there. So, yeah. 
Okay, so let me let me die. and I know we're getting close to I don't even know 40, 45 minutes. I'm not sure even where we're at. We we try to go to an hour or so, but it, it, wherever we go, we go. Um, in terms of uh yeah, the leadership traits, um, this podcast is a deep deep dive into different leadership traits, and today we're talking about vision. But from your perspective, what are the the greatest traits of a leader? One or a few? When you think about those traits of a leader, where does your mind go to? Man, I mean, I think we'll all start with humility. You know, the fact that it's, you know, and again, I I didn't get here by the right path. It was a long road uh, um, to be in this position, but I, you know, that that builds the experience and 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 empathy for people and understanding of of working through challenges and changes as well. Um, I think, you know, the uh, the willingness to be a student, the homework that you put in, like, I mean, that's. That's one thing people, you know, may disagree with changes, but when they see how how hard you've worked to understand the concepts, demonstrate the value, support it with documentation, that's where it it really gets to be like, okay, he, this guy does care about sending us in the right direction. Um, you know, I I think we can all just continue to go down the list of, of leadership traits, but you you know you brought one up this morning um that you know one of the most powerful leadership tools is trust and you know the that stephen covey line trust is the highest form of human motivation i mean if you as a leader extend trust first uh it it is most likely to be reciprocated you know you come into an office and you say hey just trust me that that person is thinking well you know uh, i don't know if i'm going to give it to you until i i see it from you so um trust trust is a, a very first step of uh putting skin in the game as a leader <clears throat> no, i hear that um so this has been far my, my favorite question to ask people so uh what are your concerns in today's fire service does anything keep you up at night it does i mean i think it's i think it's drift i think it's um you know drift away from doing what's best for our victims to uh, portraying the fire services victims. You know, I'm, I mean, it's we have a, a, a lot of efforts into protecting our mental health and protecting us from occupational in, illness. And I, I agree with all those things. But at the same time, um, that enthusiasm and effort uh, cannot be disproportionate to um, those who we go out and serve. Um, and that's that's a a very a very challenging thing also just the messaging of uh you know people die in fires whether we're there or not like we we have to as you talked about shift to positivity and 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 what what we you know what the return on our investment is what when we train hard when we perform uh, to these levels these are the outcomes when we are physically active and, and eating healthy, those other risks go down of all this type of stuff. Our, our mental health will be better if we take care of our physical health. Um, uh, so I, I, I struggle uh, with, um, with that probably the biggest is the, the fire services exists for victims. Uh, we need to be very careful of playing the victim. That's that's actually a very profound statement. I love that you went there in terms of the, the well, not only the positive and negative viewpoints, but portraying ourselves as victims. That's that's something that as we lend this conversation, I'm going to be thinking about going forward. You know, that's something that's going to be something that I look up and kind of just uh, ponder over as on my drive home today at some point. But you're right. I'm glad we're talking about this because we're I think we're doing a good job in balancing the viewpoints and the mindsets of what we're looking at things for. We can look at it negatively or we can look at it positively. And the data we started with was just that, you know, we, you've gone and many have gone from uh, taking what has traditionally been a negative viewpoint. In other words, victims lost, loss of life, loss of property to what we're doing now and trying to see the positive side of that. How can we save? How can we positively impact? Um, and, and I think about that too, uh, in terms of, you know, all the stresses that are placed upon our people and, a lot of times it's easy for them to lose sight of the value they truly provide. And it's frustrating because we know our people are doing so many amazing things out there and yet they just get caught up in whether it's the gossip or the busyness or the, the stuff they can't control. Mm -hmm. And they just, they just start going downhill and trying to keep them motivated and keep them positive and showing the people that actually they, they, they do provide this ridiculous amount of value. That's hard. Yeah. It takes a lot of energy, man. Yeah. But yeah, and, and I mean, maybe that maybe that's the biggest thing. I mean, like, 
maybe that's something we need to recognize now is in, in this recruiting and retention issue, like, okay, man, there's, there's no, I mean, our employees are more valuable than they ever have been. We are asking more of them than we ever have. Uh, on the mental side, on the physical side, on the performance side, I mean, at, at some point we must recognize that that like that the the the, uh, the inflation of the uh, value of firefighters is far outpacing the eight percent of the economy. So, <laughs> right. No, but you're right. We I think about that a lot, and as a training and EMS chief, I see that the work that they have to do just in their first year, and I look at that, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this we're asking a lot of these folk. And we expect a lot from them. We demand a lot from them. The citizens demand a lot from them. Um, so, you know, going off on a little tangent here, that's why we developed um, kind of a mentoring program within Fort Lauderdale Fire. I, I didn't invent it. One of my one of my cohorts did. But just it's almost like we can't not have a mentoring program. We can't not have that extra layer of someone to attach to that first that person their first year just to see how they're doing how are things going do you need any help studying how are things progressing on ship did you have any bad calls you almost have to have that there's no option for it because of all that we're putting on them mm-hmm. so it's about it's also maintaining that balance and just try to make sure that they they want to stay here that this is the right path that they chose and that this this glorious thing that we all know what it is isn't foreshadowed or, or, or eliminated from all the stuff that they see from looking at it in a negative way um but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I share your, your, your concern there in terms of the, the, the way we look at things and not being, not portraying ourselves as the victims. You're right. Yeah. Um, so if for future podcasts, I always ask this to, to, to other the people that are on the show. What areas do you think firefighters want to hear more about in terms of the, the stuff we're talking about here? What do, what's the pulse out there from your experience? Because you travel a lot, you teach a lot. What do our firefighters out there want to hear more of? Well, here's. Uh, again, to play on that last one, I, I I know that there's things that they want to hear more about. I'll tell you the things that I think they need to hear more about. You know, and I I think we 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 have we have been pushing again um, firefighters wanting to learn more about cancer and wanting to learn more about mental health issues. And unfortunately, I think that most of those conversations are centered around the effects of cancer in the fire service, the exposures, our our rates. Um, our losses, you know, same thing with uh, mental health, you know, here's the toll it takes on us, here's our suicide rates, all those types of things. But um, once again, we're not looking at the positives of it. Most fire departments have in their contract a physical fitness hour. Our guys are are provided in contract an hour to work out every day. I mean, that that is prevention, you know, like if we believe in prevention in the fire service, like you said, EMS prevention, we need to have firefighter prevention and that's um you know injury reduction through physical fitness and and prehab that's uh you know good mental mental work through uh achieving goals in the weight room and on the on the treadmill uh eating uh not chewing you know that's recreational cancer it gets confused with occupational cancer because oftentimes we have presumptive cancers so i i would love for you know, an, an exercise physiologist to come in and s- explain, hey, man, the, the more physically a- active you are, the more mentally fit you are. Like this creates the armor that we need in our fire service for all these things we're exposed to. A great a great diet, a great sleep schedule off duty, um, a, a, a regularly structured physical fitness environment. Those are the things that that build up our ability to cope in, in so many other areas. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned like things like an, uh, a physiologist or a specialist coming in. A lot of times we'll have those conversations with each other. But if we say it, sometimes it's not, you know, reflected as a, a specialist or a person who's in that field and does studies on that. And that the subject matter expert sometimes. Yeah. And it's frustrating. Like when I was a nurse working at the hospital, I can be given discharge instructions to somebody. If I'm saying I'm the nurse, they want to hear the doctor say it. It's the same yeah. thing. We're going to tell yeah. them the same thing. Yeah. But it's coming from a different person. <laughs> But you also mentioned the armor. That's a powerful thing to walk away with, too, here in terms of everything we're dealing with and the stresses that we're exposed to. I like that analogy of the armor that we have on protecting us and and, and balancing that because my wife, for example, she's a psychologist and she did some studies in firefighters for a doctorate. And one thing she she we talk about sometimes is the fact that she says, you know, we don't cope very well. 
Yeah. We, we, we have very, sometimes we choose the maladaptive coping instead of the, the adaptive coping mechanisms, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And um, that was profound when she brought that up to me. And I started thinking, how do when I go home, how do I balance that? How do I cope with all the stresses from the job? So the fact that you mentioned armor to protect us, whether it's from, you know, everything from exercise to food, whatever, or the, the, the mental side of it, that's that's huge, too. And that could be, like you said, a whole nother tangent. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, you you know, I I heard it from Chief Walker from Oklahoma City, the, the post-traumatic growth approach, you know, not not all post-traumatic, you know, not all post. After a traumatic event, it is not always ne negative. Um, there is I mean, the, the libraries are full of of success after a traumatic event, you know, and again, that needs to be the there is opportunity to grow from very tragic and traumatic events. It's um, but it's growth. It takes soil and and water and sunshine. It, it takes those things to foster growth. So, mm. and again, as we come close to the end, that's another great way to have perspective on this: the, the growth versus stress. You know those kind of things. So yes, even all through all that that potential negativity, the potential stress, there is positivity that comes from it. So, all right. So what's next for you, man? What's on your radar that we should keep an eye out on? Uh, well, I'll be in uh, I'll be in Phoenix uh, in a couple of weeks for the Phoenix Firefighter Symposium, um, uh, which is uh, resurrecting a a, a Brunincini Symposium. There'll be a lot of, of us out there: uh, Chief Castros, uh, uh, Chief Rhodes, um, uh, Justin McWilliams, and and uh, I forget the last names. Forgive me. I think Nick Brown, the chief of Clackamas County, about uh, search culture and and that type of stuff. Uh, within an organization implementing it. Uh, Nick Ledeen will be there from the Firefighter Rescue Survey. Uh, UL will be there. It's a it's a very, very good, well put together conference in February. And then after that, it's it's family and, and baseball for the spring uh, until we, we hit FDIC in April. I'll definitely be there with you in April. And I'm glad, you know, you mentioned Phoenix and I'm, it seems like uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of, of conferences coming up around the country. I know that in Florida alone, you can plan your year on the conferences that are packed up. You, know, you can plan a monthly conference per, per you know per month for the year based on everything that's popping up. And it's nice to have those things not only in our backyard, but then it seems to be something that's happened across the nation. Are you seeing that? Do you see a lot of conferences popping up, a lot of events and whatnot? Yeah, and I, I think it's valuable. I think I think the the again the expansion of access to information is that you know. Um, there, there's the small percentage who is accessing, uh, you know, the UL information online or, or a YouTube video from this instructor, or they go out and see it at a conference. Um, but it's, you know, the proliferation of them in the local areas are those uh, people who have sought out that person and, and want to bring it back to their community, you know. And, and I, I, I can't say enough about that. We, we all have busy schedules. We all have. Uh, other commitments. And, and when we can bring in these outside resources to our area, um, it's amazing. We all know that it's very difficult to send a, a person to a, a training when it comes to time off and backfill and uh, hotel and travel and all that type of stuff. Well, that's one person. We can bring that one person in and impact our entire organization. And I think that that's um, be it be it bringing a, an instructor in your organization or, or through a, a fool's group or a, or any other, you know, uh, entity bringing it to your area um it's it's a great thing it's 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 creating churches all over the country you know so I, that's <laughs> it's great i love that um okay so the last question i got for you um in terms of the data that you've been collecting and whatever and and once again i, I just I think that you've inspired a lot of people, not only uh, in, in for the conference you go to, but just on how you're able to take a passion and translate it into something that we all can use. And I, I for one, definitely appreciate that. Are you continuing on that path? Are you do, doing some more research or are you kind of taking a break from now? Are you supportive in nature? What does that look like for you in the future? Um, you know, the the Fireground Rescue, uh, Civilian Rescue Research Project was a, a, a short period of time. It was very intense, took a lot to put together. It's It's a it's a example of of something that the fire service is is lacking. It's you know the the research the purpose of the research is to to address a knowledge gap. Um, I'm not in the position to continue that. Hopefully, somebody does. Uh, the upside is uh, that sparked more interest in the firefighter rescue survey. Um, so we we are collecting more in that process, and that is ongoing. That is more that is less labor intensive because it's a you know it's a computer uh, process. 
so uh, I would like, you know, again, it's it's uh, motivated me through all these courses to do more research. But at the same time, you know, I have to do research just internally for my own department on best practices and these types of things. So um, we're I'm I'm busy right now with enough other things on the plate. Uh, in time, you know, I, I don't know whether I'll pursue something through the Naval Postgraduate School or the uh, or a PhD program or something like that. But I, I need a little bit of time to um, concentrate on on being a training chief at Midwest City Fire Department and and uh, getting our training center up and running and, and bringing those uh, resources uh, back here to our community um, after having exercised a couple years here of, of getting out. So. That's the whole target. You know, my fire chief supported me going out to a, a lot of these conferences and taking our guys. As soon as we get our facility, the plan is to flip the switch and, and commit that budget money towards bringing bringing things here. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, um, any, any final words, any last words for the for the end of this podcast? No, thank you very much, man. I, I, I appreciate it. And I, you know, I think that it's it's important to um, get white active white shirts in front of uh front of people through podcasts like this and, and let them know that man we're when we're in the office we're, we're still figuring it out we're still learning as we go we, we don't have all the answers but um these conversations between you and i and, and us challenging our thought processes um will hopefully uh, make us better fire chiefs for our members that's that's the hope all right. Well, uh, once again, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been phenomenal conversation. I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, in, in, in Chief Holton's word, tactics to, to take from it. Um, I know I have a bunch of, of work to do going forward as well. So, um, but thank you so much, uh, Chief. It's been an absolute pleasure having you today. Thanks, buddy. Um, so as we end here, just as a reminder, um, FDIC is coming up in April. So hope to see a lot of you there. Um, and, and once again, just as we leave here, just remember FDSC and, and these, these podcasts are tactics driven. We try to get the tactics out there for you to walk away with some things that you actually use during your day to day. So thank you, Chief Brush. Much appreciated uh, for everybody else out there. Thank you for listening. And once again, much appreciated. And we'll hope to see you next month, uh, second uh, Friday of the month. Have a wonderful day, everybody.